This is Sandy Wood, host of Stardate Radio. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, When it is darkest, a man can see the stars. So remember, wherever you are in your life, wherever you live, whatever's going on, keep looking up. Thank you for that soothing intro. This is the Tribcast for the first week of January. If you're listening to this in your car, we would recommend or ask at least that you don't look up just yet. Joining me is executive editor Ross Ramsey. Howdy. Reporter Jay Root. Sorry, I'm looking up right now. <laughs> he sounds pretty he really mellow, doesn't he? Actually. <laughs> and reporter Becca Aronson. Hey there. Hello. Thanks for joining us. This is our first podcast of 2014. It's very exciting. Hopefully it'll be a lot better than the ones of 2013. <laughs> I don't know if we're off to anything that would indicate it will. But why don't we uh, jump right into politics? And we may have talked about this on our last <clears throat> podcast, but honestly, we recorded that so long ago that uh, I don't know. But, Jay, you've been looking at how the big race of 2014, which is the Wendy Davis versus Greg Abbott race, which is, I guess, technically not on yet, but really has gotten already sort of gotten pretty dusty. It, it, well, it's gotten a lot more aggressive. I mean, we sort of have have been ringing in the new year with a lot of aggressive back and forth and the the subject has been payday lending i i i have a, a strong sense though that the, this election is not going to turn on payday lending but this is a little brush fire that's been interesting um and it's centered on uh william white not walter white but william white do you know do you know <laughs> the joke you're making uh, well, it's, there's something to do with a TV show, right? <laughs> um, Breaking Bad, I guess. Yeah. But, but anyway. Jay has never seen Breaking Bad. No, I have not. <laughs> I, I, I don't watch much TV except for CNN. I have CNN on all the time. But Breaking Bad is a much better use of your time. <laughs> I'm sure it would be. Um, but anyway, the, um, the, the William White is also is vice president of Cash America, which is a, a payday lender, basically. Um, and he is chairman of the Texas Finance Commission, which um, some people think is the fox guarding the hen house. And in fact, uh, Wendy Davis used those words, except that she used them and then she voted for it to confirm him. And so, uh, she, it, was that the order of that? Did she use those words and then a, vote apparently to him? so? She she said it in a in a Texas Observer article, as I understand it, and then later voted for him. And she crit- she was critical of him before she voted for him. And and what her answer is that well, she voted to confirm him as part of a big batch of nominees. Um, and then, of course, the Abbott people said, well, you could have separated it. You could have said, I wanted to vote separately yeah, on Yeah, they that, vote or, to sever all the time. Yeah, they, they vote, vote to sever people out of the pack all the time. That's what happened to Eleanor Kitzman at insurance. Right. They did that for the UT regions this time around. Right. And she didn't move to do that or right. make any. And, and Senator um, Kirk Watson of Austin did go in and just record a special vote for himself, didn't he? Yeah, he did. He and it said that he was present, present, not, present not voting. Correct. So there are ways Although it to was, register. It was thirty your, to thirty, and then one abstention. Basically, there are ways to register your objections if you right. have objections. And so she didn't. Now the other thing, though, that happened, and the reason why this has been such a huge issue is that the El Paso Times caught up with Mr. White at one of these finance meetings. 
and asked him. And I, the context, as I understand it, was this fine they got. The, the new U.S. Uh, uh, Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, I think is the name of That's it, right? right? Um, f- the, the very first payday lender that they find in their, their very first enforcement action against a payday lender was Cash America, and it was pretty big. It was $19 million. It was $14 million in refunds, $5 million in fines. And so the El Paso Times catches up with Mr. White and says, hey, you know, what about this? And you're chairman of the Finance Commission, and yet you're vice president of Cash America. And he sort of went off uh, on, on Marty from the El Paso Times and said that this was all political, and he pretty much threw his own customers in the grease and said that it was pretty much their fault if they get caught in a cycle of debt, um, which I thought was a PR blunder, frankly. He, he just shouldn't have done that. I mean, right. he, that, that, that was where he goofed, and so he gave ammunition to Wendy Davis and to other people that are critical, and there's not a few people. It's a lot of people that are critical of this industry. Um, there, there was an unbelievable statistic that's been thrown around is that I, I didn't realize this. Apparently, there are more um, payday lending outlets in Texas than Whataburger and McDonald's combined. Now I don't I, I don't have any way of verifying that. That's unconfirmed, but I did read that. They talk about it on Breaking Bad, exactly, season three. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, this this whole flap has has created a whole lot of of, of back and forth between Abbott, who has received uh, somewhere in between a hundred and two hundred thousand dollars in contributions from the industry. Is that how she is that how she brings it back around to Abbott? Because it's sort of a Perry is the one that nominated. Well, Abbott, there's right? two there's two hooks into Abbott. One is the the contributions, and 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 by the way, we should mention. That you talked, you mentioned the Peggy Fecak story about the. I did mention that to you oh, in, but, in the kitchen a few sorry. minutes before we started recording this. <laughs> sorry, Peggy Fecak had a story. Well, you, did you ask me if that was an oops moment, right? I well, mean, I'll ask you that, the question I asked yeah. before we were on the podcast, which is the <laughs> correct. Peggy Fecak and the Houston Chronicle, or the Express News, or both, right. both, both. Um, uh, said that sort of when Wendy Davis's team's handling of this issue has been sort of her oops moment, comparing it to Rick Perry's famous debate blunder. Right, and they, they goofed up. The, the Wendy Davis campaign goofed up when they said how much of the contributions were. At one point, they said it was like $400,000. But as we know, having looked at uh, data from the Texas Ethics Commission, they have this duplicate problem, which right. if you know, if you've ever done campaign finance, you've you've done this mistake as a reporter one time, and then you've never done it again because you've realized that you've doubled it. I mean, because... Do they, it once, get your head blocked. Yeah, exactly. Your head knocked off. And then- so, so, but, but that, that sort of fed into this other narrative that's going on that, that Wendy Davis isn't ready for prime time and that they've had too many rookie mistakes. Um, and this, this was one of those examples. But the bottom line is there's been a, a, a whole lot of back and forth, um, very aggressive from both campaigns, um, pouncing on each other's... Uh, foibles and perceived mistakes on this particular issue and they're still sort of fighting it out and we don't really i mean so so on the one hand the abbott people are pushing the narrative that wendy's not ready for prime time and that this these goofs on the payday lending 
um, demonstrate that. And on the other hand, the Davis people are saying, no, well, Abbott's beholden to his contributors and it's part of his crony capitalism, and they've given however much it is. It's, uh, the latest figure I saw was around $200,000, not $400,000, but it's quite a lot of money for the average Texan, I would assume. Don't you think at this point this isn't for voters? This is the campaign <clears throat> trying to figure out how the other one fights. Each of them is trying to figure out how the other one reacts so that when this becomes a real campaign and a real back and forth that voters are actually paying attention to, they'll kind of know, push this button, don't push that button. Here's how they... Yeah, I do think that. I also think that you, you're starting to see sort of some lines of attack, which is, again, like hitting hitting on the narratives that they think are going to play. And for Abbott, it's they keep hitting on that she's not ready for prime time and that she's too liberal. Those are there, too. And then with the uh, Davis uh, people, they, they keep hitting on Abbott and his contributions and, and his ties to the industry. And there, there is they're a, sort of saying that Abbott's going to be Rick Perry 2.0 and you're going to get this kind of guy. Right. To but this th- kind of there's 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 a very specific policy uh, item too though, and that's this 2006 letter that Greg Abbott wrote, and who that that is being cited as a key moment uh, in which the uh, the payday lending industry really exploded in Texas. And this letter basically said you can be what's called a credit service organization and where you're technically not lending money, but you're charging fees for facilitating a loan by a third party. So when you go into these payday lenders, you, the, the interest rates end up being like 900% a year, um, um, but it's really not interest per se it's a fee but for the average person it's the same thing you're just paying money it's the cost to, of the money get, right? it's the cost of the money and it's it's a very very high cost and so um so so i think there is a substantial policy issue and i think that uh william white sort of unwittingly i mean look the payday industry had a great session Right. They've the, had a couple of great sessions. The, the, yeah, the, the legislature's the, been here to, to regulate them a couple of times and keeps bonking its head on the rafters. It, and it, I, yeah, and, and I think what he did was he made this, you know, he sort of insulted his own customers. Right. And if he had just kept his mouth shut, they probably would have just been able to just ride this whole thing out. But he sort of put his head up and talked about this in a way that I think average people actually can understand and, and do understand and, and can pay attention to. Um, and, I, you know, he this may actually be something that, you know, in the 2015 session could be uh, uh, a point that would, you know, we're going to hear this again in committee hearings. Right. And um, and then you had these Democratic senators. I mean, John Whitmire. Well, everybody's uh, dogpiling. Yeah. And it, yeah, and it sort of and it it harmonizes a little bit with this national issue about income disparity. And Democrats are on this side of that gap and Republicans are on that side of that gap. So, you know, there's a. There's kind of a cloudy narrative for here. An income disparity gap, right? But I, but I mean, you know, you, so you're you're starting to get uh, people. Uh, the Democrats are, you, you know, you would think, okay, well, this is normal. Democrats are are, are criticizing Republicans, but it, it was noteworthy to me that you had you have this these senators that have sort of come to Wendy's rescue on this issue. Um, because a lot there there there's sort in the legislature there tends to be this fiefdom thing where senators kind of let the governor have his appointees and the appointees let the senators sort of have their little fiefdoms and they don't really get into each other's business that much but 
that I, I saw that when I saw John Whitmire's name on that list of senators, right. I thought, you know, this is this this payday lending thing can may actually come back in, in 2015, and they, they may actually get some regulation. Well, they're acting finally. a little bit more like Democrats than like senators at this point, mm-hmm. right? It's a political thing. Could, could this be uh, the first election that really does turn on payday lending? <laughs> no. Probably not. Okay. <laughs> I, th- I think uh, education... Um, Anything could be real. <laughs> w- Wendy Davis has an education announcement. Um, can we talk about days or not, or... You, it's on this Thursday. Week, this week yeah. on Thursday. Okay, on Thursday. We're recording this on Wednesday. Um, Wendy has a uh, an education announcement. I think education it is this this election will turn much more on education, um, and you know just sort of uh, pocketbook issues than than on you know some sort of narrow section of the lending industry. All right. Well, then let's then let's switch issues. Then <laughs> let's move over to. Uh, well, I guess to another hot hot button issue, and over from the That's Democrats, cool. the Republicans, and from payday lending to uh, life issues, I guess. Life uh, issues. Yeah, Becca wrote about that this week. Yeah. And there's a little bit of a lack of unity on that side. There is. So during the session, there was a big divide in the pro-life groups between the end-of-life issue, how we should reform the state's Advanced Directives Act, um, and whether or not doctors should be allowed to discontinue care for patients that they know are at the end of their life. So one on one side, you have Texas right to life, which says, no, doctors and hospitals should continue treatment until the patient or the family wants to discontinue care or finds another provider. And then you have Texas Alliance for Life, the Texas Catholic Conference, which represents the Roman bishops in Texas, um, the Texas Medical Association, some disability rights groups um, saying, well, no, in some circumstances, the doctor, or the hospital may know what's best. And in some situations, an ethics committee should be able to determine to end this stuff. So there's this huge divide on this issue, and now that's playing into the 2014 elections because um, Texas Right to Life issued this scorecard that basically reams anyone who supported the bill that they didn't like. Even if they supported the groups, all of the groups' other issues. Yeah, right? I mean, so right. you have a session in which every single Republican except Sarah Davis votes for these really strict anti-abortion measures that are probably the strictest in the nation, and yet still... A handful of these people are being called not conservative enough. Like Bob Dole, right, who well, was— Bob Dole is one of the primary authors of the ominous abortion bill, but because he also carried this legislation that Texas Right to Life didn't like, he's been labeled a disappointment. I mean, Donna Campbell was labeled a disappointment, and if anybody knows Donna Campbell, she's as pro-life as they come. Yeah, I mean, she famously but, <laughs> uh, raised the point of order that shut down Wendy Davis's filibuster. Right. Back she did. I thought you were going to say something funnier than that. On the- <laughs> yeah, we're really disappointed. I was just really yeah. I was disappointed, disappointed on that. Reaction yeah. to the disappointment label. Well, that was yeah, just, but she voted I for I this bill that they didn't like. For everyone, just once. <laughs> but the conversation around this scorecard has really irked some people, and it's gotten them to kind of speak up on how they feel like some special interest groups are trying to... Flushed out this column, right, from Jimmy Don Acock? Yeah, Jimmy Don just sent me an email that was like, you know, basically voicing his concerns about how some of these special interest groups are trying to take over House seats to control the Speaker's race. You know, it really mirrors the national argument, too, because John Boehner, the Speaker of the U.S. House, just went off on these outside groups. So it it really seems like, you know, for is we always talk about how, oh, we're not like Washington, but Texas is starting to look a lot more like Washington. Do you 
Well, yeah, in, in, in a lot of ways. I mean, you know, a lot of the votes aren't really about policy and about getting things done, you know, as a conservative or a liberal government one way or the other. They're really about it's like the elections are driving the government rather than the other way around. It's like everybody acts in their government role in a way that's geared toward or aimed at or looking at their elections. And, and so you get yeah. these, you know, scorecards have become very, very important over the last few years. And this is, is, that a, an, is that a new example. thing? It, it, the emphasis on it is different. I mean, you know, there's always a balance between governance and, and politics, you know, and, and these people are always political people, but they're not um, – you know they're like internally political. They're they're working their own ideology instead of looking over their shoulder at a rearview mirror all the time about which group is what's this going to make me look like on their scorecard or their scorecard or their scorecard. And I think part of the problem with this Texas Right to Life scorecard is a lot of them didn't see this one coming. You know they were sort of minding their political business as they went along in their government business. And okay, I'm good here. I'm good here. I'm good here. I'm with everybody on this. And this one is one of those rare cases where. It split not only the Republicans and the conservatives, but split the people who thought they agreed with each other on all of these all of these life issues. Well, I think one of the things that can be confusing about the scorecards is one: there are so many of them, right? And there are, and it, each one changes from year to year. So, like, you can't if you look at the uh, Empower Texans scorecard, for example, and you know they in there. If you read it, it says, "Look, this is not the perfect measure of." how to judge a candidate. It's our measure, and you should use it along with everyone else's measures and scorecards. Right. But you look at, like, uh, I think uh, a couple sessions ago, they voted, ranked maybe 20 votes. This past year, they did three times that or maybe more. I mean, you can never really tell. And you, it's, it can be hard to tell if the groups are basing, f- choosing the votes based on the outcomes they want on their scorecard or the, or the other way around. You know what I mean? Well, this one that the yeah. Becker wrote about was clearly cho- choosing it for outcomes. Um, you know, they chose to, to grade them on one end-of-life vote as opposed to the other end-of-life vote. Every one well, of those choices is a— Well, they gave a third of their scorecard to this one issue. Right. So if you were a co-author on the bill they didn't like or if you voted for it in the Senate— then you couldn't have gotten a good score. I mean, the average was like 50-something points out of basically 150 if you count the bonus points. Yeah, all all most voters see if they see any of this is in a mailer that says, you know, this candidate got an A-plus or an F, or this yeah. candidate got a 100 or a zero. Or, but if you what look, you're saying was They don't, this they don't was see the, all the asterisks and all the explanations and all the votes that were compiled here. I mean, there's probably a line that says, you know, for more about this, go look at this. But what they really yeah, see is the Yeah, you can see the, the breakdown says, of every single vote for the lawmakers, but you but, have to look it up, and most people aren't going to But what that. you're actually going to see is a mailer from a campaign mm-hmm. that says, mm-hmm. my opponent got an F. They're and, not pro-life enough. Right. Most people aren't going to scratch beyond that. But or it, many it, people it, aren't going to scratch. But isn't a lot of this just sort of about, like, leadership politics, too, like in the House, that they, they, they sort of want to um, – that there are certain – this is certainly what Jimmy right, right. Don said was right. that they, they – This is all about speaker politics. This is all about speaker politics, and this is about scoring people poorly – that are supporting Joe Strauss. Right. Well, you, you can see, I think, in some of these scorecards, as, as people sort of rise in the ranks in the Joe Strauss-led House, suddenly their scores drop off from previous sessions. Yeah, can, they get pointed to chairmanship, and yeah. all of a sudden they You can actually them. reverse engineer these them. pretty well. You can use the scorecards to figure out where a group is. You don't have to worry about where the legislators are. You can look at the scorecard and say, oh, that's an anti-Strauss group, or this is a, this is a, this is a Democratic group, or this is an anti-labor group, mm-hmm. or whatever. Well, is this more of a – I mean, is this a partisan thing or is this – this is something that affects all sides and all parties and – I mean, we've sort of been talking about the Republican divide. 
it, this one's partisan within the Republican Party, you know, and that's where the game is. I mean, if you look at the mm-hmm. if you look at the brackets right now that we've got up on the website, if you look at the seven hundred candidates who've signed up to run for stuff, most of the big fights are in the Republican primary. There's a few in the Democratic primary, and there's a you know there are some general election battles, but the really Hotly contested, lots of candidates trying to make a distinction within their conservatism. You know that's all going on in the Republican primary. And again, that that where you sort you sort of see a national, uh, the, the the kind of focus, right. the, the same sort of thing that's going on in Washington is coming here. Where there's, I, I saw Bob Garrett and the Morning News had the GOP civil war. You know, when it comes to Texas. Yeah, and Jimmy but, uh, Jimmy Don called them, you know, the do-nothing crowd. And, you know, there's this divide between people who really want a limited government that's so limited it doesn't do anything. And then there's people who think that we do need to do something to ensure we have water infrastructure and run a state government. So, Well, and some of that, and some of that you know, lines up with the Strauss, anti-Strauss breakdown, right? It's like as soon as you get a seat at the table, if you're penalized for that, then it— well, then that's where this is not partisan in the sense of you're a Republican, I'm a Republican, or you're a Republican or a Democrat. It's where this is where there's a difference between the establishment, the people with seats, mm-hmm. and the anti-establishment or the populists or whatever, the people without seats. People without seats are throwing a lot of rocks right now. And then, of course, the I mean, the other issue with scorecards is the uh, is it or is it not lobbying, right? I mean, if you send out a thing ahead of time and saying, here's what we're going to score you on and this is what's going to affect your primary election – I don't know if I count that. I mean, you know, there's th- this is angels on the head of a pin argument, right? But but I don't know if I count that as as lobbying in the sense of you know classical lobbying is we have this issue. Let me tell you about this issue and why you should vote for our side. This is more of a, you know, this is a kind of legal extortion. You're walking in and you're saying, if you vote this way, we're going to give you a bad grade. And what we do with our bad grades is this and this and this. And you can imagine the consequences. And it but do whatever you want. it worked in this case. I mean, that bill that Texas Right to Life opposed had the votes to pass in, this, in the House. It did. But Chairman Colcourst didn't want to bring it up because she didn't want to get a bad grade in her scorecard because, you know, she wants to rise in to power in the, in the House. Yeah. Right. So... She was the turning point for that issue and the reason it didn't pass. And it was really because this group told her straight up how they were going to score her if she did. So, Right. All right. Ready to move on? Yes. How's that for a transition, Ross? <laughs> clunky. That's <laughs> pretty good. Sort of clunky so far. Well, let's go from— uh, We're still in it, right? <laughs> yeah. Interior partisanship to sort of traditional partisanship. And that, of course, is the issue over the uh, new rules for navigators that have been discussed. And maybe Becca can fill us in on that as well. Yeah, so the Navigator program is part of the Affordable Care Act. Basically, Texas got $11 million, these nonprofits did, to train people to help other people enroll with health plans. It's become very controversial because they say there's no background checks and there's no accountability. These people have your Social Security number and who knows what they're going to do with it. They could be committing fraud. They could be encouraging people to lie about their incomes. They can get higher tax subsidies. And Project Veritas, you know, the conservative group led by James O'Keefe, they apparently took videos and pointed some of these things out. Right. James O'Keefe, who should know, does a notorious video editor. But that doesn't mean his videos in this case are inaccurate. I'm just saying that in the past he's been caught uh, lying. Yeah. So so it's it's become this controversial issue in which the Republicans think that t- Texas should enact stricter rules, but the rules that they want to enact the Democrats say are politically influenced and intending to put 
a lot of red tape around this program so that it can't be as successful. Um, basically, they want 40 hours of more training on top of the 20 to 30 hours they already have to do. Um, and they want them to have to complete this training right up close to the deadline for when people have to get their health plans. So it would basically require all of these navigators, I think there's about 300 in Texas, to take a week off to do more training. And during that week, they can't help people sign up for health insurance. Um, and they're also going to have to pay money. They they estimate it could be 200 to $900 or something. So they um, think it's not, it's just they're trying the to hinder the program yeah, they're instead just trying of trying to, to train people up. Exactly. There's also been accusations that um, they're going to try and this is a way to funnel the federal funds away from this program and to private entities that would be doing the training and to the Texas Department of Insurance, which is charging registration fees for these navigators. Uh, so when are the rules in place yet? They're just discussing them right now. So they're they're at the final stage. They um, they finished getting final comments um, earlier this week. And so now they just have to post it in the Texas Register with an explanation of their response to all of these comments. In the meantime, are people navigating in the meantime? or People are navigating in the meantime. Uh-huh. There's The other weird thing about this is the word navigator. Uh-huh. So... I mean, there's all the kinds of health navigation programs in the health industry. You know, you have these health counselors that help people figure out where to go to get cancer treatments or that follow up on people when, you know, they need to take medication, but they might be mentally ill or something. They call them navigators oftentimes. But the way that they want to create this rule, you would have to register to be a navigator. And so people couldn't use the term navigator anymore. And so a lot of groups that aren't even participating in the navigator program, the federal navigator program, are concerned that they're not going to be able to have navigators like the Livestrong Foundation is concerned about this. I mean, it's interesting because it's just a... Yeah, what if you want to watch an old copy of Flight of the Navigator? Yeah, because you have to register as a navigator. So that's going to be a problem. This is a more serious issue than I thought. <laughs> uh, I mean, is there anything beyond just this is political? I mean, is there a problem with having more rules for people that are handling sensitive information? We have problems with people's private information getting out all the time. We do. I, we I think that, Texas. you know, the thing is, is they've isolated it to this program. And Texas has programs already running that are similar to this. They have people helping others sign up for Medicare or Medicaid. Um, and those people right. don't have these kinds of regulations on them. I mean, they have specifically targeted this one program that should have been kind of just like all of these other programs that already exist. And instead, they're making a bigger deal out of it. Have, so. there, been, have there been abuses? I mean, are, is there any widespread abuse in the programs that already exist that, that you know about? Uh, I don't – I mean, I mean I, it, no it, one's really brought anything widespread to my attention. I mean, it'd be easy to say that, that in some circumstances people are encouraging others to lie about their income so they can be eligible. But I don't think that there's any evidence that that's the majority of people. And Well, this is the this is the Project Veritas Videos, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. There's videos of navigators being like, well, we can just leave that out. Yeah, don't talk about it. Let's yeah. don't talk about that. Right. right. Yeah. I thought what the, the most interesting criticism uh, was that in Texas, we, we always talk about how we have a light regulatory hand, you know, and mm-hmm. right. we, we don't regulate things very much so that we can let business flourish. But in this case, we have like an unbelievable amount of regulation. Yeah. For this was, one very specific program. I thought, yeah. Well, and so is this, I mean, is this the last battle over Obamacare here in Texas? I imagine no. this is just symptomatic. No, of one what? of many battles this is, this, is, this is the current battle over Obamacare <laughs> in the state of Texas. I think these go on for 
a while. Well, do we have a, a good sense at this point of you know how many people have signed up and how how well the program is working in Texas, which has the most uninsured people? Yeah, they the haven't released new rate, statewide figures rate. recently, but I mean, more than a million people in the nation have signed up. Um, I think that it, there's going to be kind of a big rush towards the end, and that's one of the reasons why this navigator issue is so pivotal because if at that big rush at the end when everyone at the end of the six-month sign-up period, the people who still need to get health insurance, if they can't get help because all the navigators are caught up in training or not registered or not able to help them, then it's not going to be as successful and it could really hamper the efforts to get people health insurance. All right. There you have it. Unless anyone has any navigating they'd like to do right now, I think we'll sort of wind this thing down. Everybody look up. (laughs) And while you're looking up, uh, we'd like to thank Shiny Ribs for doing our music and encourage you to send questions and comments to tribcast at texastribune.org. On behalf of Jay, Ross, Becca, and our producer Todd, this is Reeve. Thanks for listening. He's really reasonable. I think that he... I can't believe we caught that in the hot mic. Keep looking up. 